holy smokes, I've missed your beautiful faces and RJ's face. Like, I've missed you guys so, so much. I forgot how hot it was in this room. I did not miss that at all. Let's see if I can remember how to do this. Um, I have notes, but we'll see if I use them. Um, I tell you what, when, I mean, Jesus has set up the church in such a way that when an individual walks through a personal hell or darkness or affliction, the community is there to bring hope or define reality. And uh, that was probably the hardest part of this entire sabbatical was not being here, was not being with you all, was not singing with you or breaking bread with you or just being in your presence and just being a part of the church. And so it was amazing. We visited a bunch of churches and some of these churches have like $18 billion and like Komodo dragons walking around in their kids' ministry. No joke. And they're walking around and we're like, oh man, our kids are going to love this church so much more. And then they come out and they're like, yeah, it's cool. It's not collective. And we're like, right. And so just to be here and I mean, it just, it, it means so much. My, my wife and I have mad, mad love for this, for this body. So we do want to do this evening is just sort of talk about what's transpired. Um, again, if this is your first time here and you have no idea what we're talking about, um, I hope that God's word is still, you're encouraged with the God of the Bible at the same time, hopefully transform. But before we do any of that, I, I know we've just done it multiple times, but I, I have to just start with gratitude. I have to start with gratitude I'm, I'm beyond thankful for those here who have filled gaps, who have stayed faithful, who have pressed on, who've persevered, and who have proven time and time again that a commitment to the bride of Christ is not dependent upon who's teaching, a personality, a pastor, if it's smooth times or it's hard times. And you guys have modeled that. And I've been hearing stories about that over and over again. You guys are all juggernauts. And so um, I just remember what Paul says in the New Testament. He goes, I have so much pride in you. And so I have tons of pride in this church body. And I wish I had money or a card to give all of you or cake or something. I don't, but I wish I did. And second, again, I just want to thank just my best friend in the world, Lorenzo, for how much he freaking loves this church. It's outrageous how hard he's worked for this church. And if you know Lorenzo, he's not super pumped on teaching the Bible, and he's rocked it. He's completely rocked it. So I'm just thankful for Lorenzo. I want to say more, but I'll, I'll just I'll wait and, and share it because I, I kind of, if it's okay with you, I would love to be able to explain all that's transpired while walking through an Old Testament narrative, if that's okay. Just because we're kind of mixing it up tonight doesn't mean we want to miss the chance to, to teach the Bible or to preach the name of Jesus. So tonight, we are still going to get into something, and I want to, again, share from a set of Scripture that really has meant the world to me. And then from this episode, again, I'll just sort of share insights to what sort of happened. But this, this story, if you can turn to Genesis chapter 16, this story has broken me and rebuilt me, then broke me and rebuilt me like a game of spiritual Jenga, like that has been my life. And I can only hope and pray tonight it has similar effects for you. So yeah, page seven, if you have one of the borrowed Bibles, Genesis chapter 16. Of, um, it's like the first book of the Bible if you're having a hard time finding it. 
And before we do any of that, I just want to open us up in prayer because I want to share some, some, I want to share some real stuff, but we need the Spirit of God to, the Spirit of God's help to really make this powerful and successful. Spirit of living God, we are in this moment fully aware that anything good that will come from this teaching is by your power. And thus, you supply the power, you will get the praise tonight. Lord, a personal prayer for me, I am more than aware that my worthiness right now is not on trial. Jesus, you went to trial for that. So Lord, I can stand here as a brother and as a pastor, understanding, fully known, fully exposed right now to you, Lord, that I am sufficient by you and you alone. And we do ask right now that Genesis chapter 16 would convict and challenge and charge us. We expect and hope. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Genesis chapter 16, um, there's this amazing woman by the name of Hagar. And Hagar has just crossed the threshold into misery, into affliction. And her life within this small chapter will be much like how I'm going to be explaining, and Lorenzo's already explained how my life was early this year. It's going to crack, and it's going to start bleeding out. And if you're familiar with the Christian faith, then you probably have come to realize or even experience that it's these cracks, these rock bottoms that God can use as the strongest foundation. And that's true of Hagar, and again, that's true of my life, and I know it's true of every single one of you. So read with me starting in verse 1. Man, I love this story. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, and their, their names are about to change to Abraham and Sarah. So if I mess it up, be cool. Bear with me. Their names are about to change. But right now, it's old school names. So just okay. So Abram's wife had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me. We see issues already. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and maybe that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. Now may the Lord judge between you and me. Now, in all honesty, hearing this with our Western ears and our translations does not do justice to fully expose the brutality of these verses. These are brutal verses. Hagar was an Egyptian servant. That is better translated um, handmaiden. So don't think that she's just some Molly maid, found a paid position on Craigslist type of servant or maid or whatever. When you hear the word handmaiden or Egyptian servant, literally think of like Margaret Atwood's book, The Handmaiden's Tale. Like Hulu, Elizabeth Moss style, like Handmaiden's Tale. That is what's happening here. Okay? So to Abram and Sarai, Hagar is property. 
Hagar is an object. And through this chapter, she has now horribly become a sexual property, a sexual object. Thus, Hagar's baby would be what? Property. Now, if we want to turn up the heat, I just want everybody to understand this is pretty normal back then. Obviously, this is more of Sarah's issue rather than Abram's issue because Abram's fertile. We can totally see that. So this is Sarai's issue. Nonetheless, and I'm getting to where we're going to start sharing, but nonetheless, this injustice to, Sarah, to Hagar is a complete outrage. She is not asked. She is not been treated fairly. She, her feelings are not regarded. She is not protected by those who should be protecting her. And tragically, misery and suffering and affliction never ask if it's okay. We get that. They never ask if it's okay if now is the time we come. Like intruders into the night, they have crowbars and they just sort of break in. Many of you probably know this, but look at verse 6. But Abram and said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled. Dealt harshly, again, most people believe, is physically abused her. So it's from this abuse that this now pregnant, scared mom deuces and pieces out and runs and flees and gets out of Dodge because the situation has gone from uncomfortable to El Pololoco. Like, it's insane. Now, stick with me. The rest of the verses is how I want to sort of express all that's gone on these last four months, the rest of the verses. But I just wanted to set that up. Look at verse 7. So remember, Hagar is like, I'm out. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. Uh, Hagar was clearly going back to Egypt with these sort of like geographical insights. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? God doesn't ask questions for answers. God asks to prod us into consideration and contemplation. And then here happens, she said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, get this, return to your mistress and submit. Return to your mistress and submit to her. Like, Needle scratch, what? Return. Basically, face it. All this crap that's gone on in your life, face it. Face your pain, face your tribulation, face your misery. Like a sheep that follows a shepherd in Psalm 23, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Face it. Dine with it. Now, before we go any further, I do just have to say... This should not be taken as a blanket endorsement for, all, for anybody who's been abused or victimized to submit themselves to more abuse. I just want to get that clear. Don't hear me saying that. This is a radically different situation. The church has some, done some tragic things of telling people to go back to the abuse. That's not what I'm saying. Something different's happened here, and something different has happened with me in my life. Um, I don't know if you guys do this in your life, but if you're going through something, does anybody else have like a soundtrack? Does anybody do that? Where it's like you listen to a certain set of songs during a certain period of time. Is that just me? I have a couple of people nodding their head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there is one particular song that I would say is a soundtrack. It's an old song, but it's, this would be the soundtrack to the sabbatical for me. And there's just one line 
one set of, you know, lyrics that just had extra gravity to them. But this is all it was. It says, I felt the world begin to peel off all of my skin, and I felt the weight within reveal the bigger mess. Anybody know the band? All right, good. That's fine. No big deal. So I want to read it one more time. To peel off all of my skin and I felt the weight within reveal the bigger mess. These divine words of telling Hagar to return and what's happened in my life recently was the peeling process. This year was the peeling process or what C.S. Lewis has so poetically shown the world you know, in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, it's the undragoning where we, where we have grown scales and it needs to be clawed away. And I, you know, everybody's so kind and asking me how it is. I just want everybody to know these last four months have been uh, the hardest thing I have ever gone through. I mean, Pastor Jeremy's right. There, there were no Mai Tais. There was no me in a hammock on a beach. These were the hardest four months of my entire life. It wasn't planting a church. It wasn't completing high school. It wasn't bedtime with the kids. It wasn't listening to Creed. All those things are super hard and super challenging. But the peeling, this peeling process, the facing and returning, it brought me some serious pain. Um, This is, again, the hardest thing I've ever had to go through. And I would tell everybody here today, and simultaneously the most rewarding thing I've ever done, and I, as a pastor, regrettably and with great, joy, with great joy, inform each and every one of you that if Christianity or Christ or your faith or your soul mean anything to you, then you too will be peeled. So, what do I mean by peeled? Um, I timidly and expectantly and joyfully accepted God's invitation this past four months to die. And I have no idea any other way to frame it. It was an invitation to die. This is truly the only way I can explain it. For me, and I'd say for us, the only way that we can walk through the gates of new life is through death. And this is what I did for the last four months. There's death and resurrection and death and resurrection. There were so many times in this sabbatical, I was just bawling my eyes out. And... Um, Heavy, heavy, heavy forgiveness. For those of you who are here or who know the past stories that we've sort of shared, it was really challenging. It was hard. Um, Just everything that was uncomfortable pressing into it. And so it felt like it was killing me. Literally, it felt like it was killing me. And I became aware that, that everything that felt like this was killing me, I just totally became aware that, yes, it's because it's literally putting to death the part of you that needs to go, the part of you that needs to be undone, the part of you that needs to be peeled away. And Christians here, there will be a thousand little deaths that you guys will all face, that we will all face. Here and there of carnal passions that we will have to completely just crucify and put to death. But there can be hallmark events of the self where the entire person dies and gives birth to the true self. To be peeled away of the old with the new. And I I, I would say that was me. Um. I was going to get in some of the practicals for those who cared. Um, part of the process this summer for those, uh, for me, excuse me, was me sitting in intense prayer meetings. They were two to three hour intense prayer meetings. Um, 
every other week with a professor from Talbot. Um, those are intense. <laughs> I don't know any other way to explain it. There's a lot of the, the prayers were very geared towards who needs to be forgiven, past abusers, all those things that we sort of talked about. I did two out-of-state intensives in Colorado. And all this stuff I can go into details later if you guys want to come up and ask. I'm just doing an overview. There's gospel-centered and biblically-centered therapy on the reg, like all the time. Those are two to three hours as well. There's library loads of journaling I've done. I don't know if you guys are journalers, but it's awesome. Heavy phone calls that I really did not want to make and letter writing to those who have abused me to protect boundaries, but hopefully ultimately to reconcile. There was salad eating, which is even yoga. My poor family, come in and see that. Cassandra, you'd be pumped, right? Yoga? You're all pumped, I know. Honestly, like Hagar, I returned to the misery and I just had to submit to it. Whatever sucked, I leaned into it. Whenever there was fire, I just walked into it. Whenever there was somebody or something that needed reconciliation, I just worked and worked and worked at it. True forgiveness has got to be single-handedly the hardest thing there is to do, to truly forgive somebody. And all of this has just sort of transformed the way I eat and read and listen and feel and get triggered and relate as a son, as a brother, as a father, as a husband, and obviously as a pastor. Now, I I do want to just, as I'm sort of sharing in a nutshell, I just want everybody to know I am in no way, I've mastered this. Um, I'm very much under construction. Ask for your patience. But I have started this journey. And I have started this journey because you mission members or because Collective Church was kind enough and gracious enough and faithful enough to give me time to face it. I feel that you were telling me to go return and submit to this. I know that. I'm extremely, eternally grateful for your endorsement and your prayers and support. You guys have given me something no church, no community has ever given me. And that's a charge to get better and to do some much-needed self-care. Again, I'm not fixed or 2.0 Fritz. Gross. That's not me. That's not it at all, but I am beyond grateful. You know, again, I, it's crazy because we can look back, and again, if you, remember, if you were there for all the, some of the stuff that I was able to share with you earlier this year, you can kind of look back right now and just go, all of that was the mercy of God. All that crap, if you remember with my grandma, stepdad stuff, that is all 100% the mercy of God. I count it as mercy that leads to blessing. Much in the same way my friend Hagar experienced. I mean, Hagar wouldn't have this encounter, this blessing, if it hadn't been for her trial. And that's true for me. See, misery and hardships bring all of us to a place of need, a place where we look up and look out, a place we would never, ever venture towards in our own free will. I would have never known the places I needed to go or the man I needed to become if it wasn't without the hurt that earlier that this year earlier transpired. I would honestly just encourage all of us that the litmus test 
that if we walk through suffering or affliction well, is if we can look back and count it as grace. If we can look back on anything that's wrecked us and go, that's totally the mercy of God, I would say that is what we've walked through, we've done it well or successful or whatever you want to say. This is the beauty of the affliction within the realms of the Christian faith. When we accept the invitation from God to love our enemies, to burn idols, to forgive, to loosen the grips of resentment, to kiss goodbye the old false pseudo-self. And from that peeling, we finally uncover our soul as God sees it. We uncover ourself as God sees it. We uncover our pain as God sees it. Now, I want to get to this. These next set of verses is probably the most impactful part of the chapter with Hagar. She is no longer seen as property in this moment, and I would say that these next set of verses are the most impactful moment for me within my sabbatical. Look at verse 11. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. That's so crazy good, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And then the angel goes on to say, He shall be a wild donkey of a man. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but for cultural sake, this is a good thing. It just, the angel's basically saying, Your, son, or your, you know, your son's going to be like Bear Grylls. That's all he's saying, seriously. His hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all and all his kinsmen, excuse me, but here it is. Oh my gosh, this is so good. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I've seen him who looks after me. Man. tell you what, one of the byproducts of, of affliction or suffering or misery or whatever is, is us feeling utterly alone or abandoned or forgotten. And when you read these titles and these names of God, like you were the God of seeing, I'm going to name my kid Ishmael because you heard my affliction Changes everything. See, Hagar, she's not angry with God like Sarai was. What did Sarai say? You have prevented me, right? She's not passive with God, with her new faith like Abram. She has been seen and thus she now sees fully. Clearly, we're starting to pick up that this angel really isn't an angel at all. This entire chapter is really special. It's in chapter of first, if you guys haven't, if didn't know that or whatever, if you haven't picked up on that. This entire chapter of first for Genesis and for the Bible. This is the first time Hagar speaks. This is the first time she's spoken to. This is the first time that mankind names or proclaims title over God. But interestingly enough, this is the first time an angel shows up ever. Ever in the Bible. And it's not an angel of the Lord. It's the angel of the Lord. Friends, this isn't some messenger of God. This is God himself breaking in. Like the Kool-Aid man. Like he's breaking in. Oh yeah. And you could see the angel 
And you could see that as the angel proclaims blessing over Hagar, and Hagar responds to this divine being. This is God. And if that's true, which it is, I just want us to sit with this beauty, because this rocked me as Hagar is peacing out, and she's going to familiar comforts, and she's going back to Egypt, and she's giving up. She wants felt needs, and she wants to escape. What happens? Again, this was me earlier this year. Like, I'm, I'm just tired. I don't know how much more I can do. This was me earlier this year, but look what happens. Again, look at verse 7. Then the angel of the Lord found her. Then God found her. Then God found her. Then God found her. We do not find God. God is the great pursuer and hunter and seeker. We do not find God in our heartache. He tracks us down and he hears and he sees entirely. I hope you notice this rad interplay in tonight's chapter with seeing. Sarai, you know, saw that Hagar conceived and Hagar saw that she conceived and Hagar at the end's like, you are a God of seeing. And this whole time they're living and fighting and being crazy if God doesn't see or hear anything. But God sees the barrenness. God sees the pain. God sees the abuse. God knows. That was true. And what I really needed to, to let digest inside of me as I felt utterly abandoned, what in the world's going on this past year? God sees our breakups and our frustrations and our shattered hearts and our true selves and our abuse and our afflictions and our misery. Man, I cannot fully express what this characteristic and this title of God has meant to me these last four months and what it means to me now. Words will not even ever to be able to express. Again, anybody here who feels abandoned or unheard or unseen, I hope that this chapter just blows that out of the water. I will fully admit and be transparent in this moment right now that I have not, due to past abuse and horrible situation in my life, seen myself with proper eyes or from the perspective of heaven. This sabbatical is putting into the grave wrong perceptions and lies. So many negative, sinful narratives that I have been told and grown to believe about me, about my core. Much like Hagar. Grown to believe she was property and desired for only what she could produce. I mean, I'd be curious as a pastor just to challenge in this moment if there's any negative narratives or messages that you are believing right now about yourself. You're not good enough. You don't deserve. You're unlovable. I get it on a theological level that I'm loved, but I am very unlovable. That you feel forgotten, that you're alone, that you're beyond repair that you've got screwed over in this life. Maybe negative thoughts about the community of God, the church, the Bible. God's thoughts are the antithesis to those lies. God sees truthfully. He sees us truthfully laid bare a whole and he sees us again entirely. Um, I don't want to overshare. Again, I'm open to questions if you guys have questions, but I do want to worship with you all. I really want to worship and sing with this church. And I think tonight's verses are the perfect set of verses to at least launch us there. And I just kept thinking, um, 
how amazing this story was and that yet hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, whenever, how many years later, there was another hurting, broken, afflicted woman who came and sat. And yet again, God broke in. God found her. In the New Testament, John chapter 4, Jesus, if you know the story, if not, but Jesus has this amazing conversation with a Samaritan woman, which already broke all racial, gender, and cultural barriers, and Jesus doesn't care at all. I love it. And Jesus informs her that, that God is seeking. He informs that God is what, what God's looking for. He says, God is looking for worshipers. He's looking for worshipers, men and women who will worship in what? Spirit and in truth. And truth means aware and sober and trusting and unpretending about both God and how he sees us. See, the father is very weary of empty praise from inadequate views of himself. Hagar saw God because God saw Hagar. So we trust that God sees us and hears us like Hagar, and we see then God entirely in truth. Ultimately, that him being present and so on and so forth. So tonight when we sing, let's accept the invitation to both worship him in spirit, but in truth, like deep, deep truth. So when you're invited to the carpet, you can stand, you can sit in your chairs or whatever. But I want us to sing as the body of Christ, knowing entirely that we are still sought after, that the God, we are seen and still sought after, seen fully, and that the God of the Christian faith, this blows my mind, is one who faithfully keeps showing up at the well moments of our life. He doesn't just resolve to fix our pain, but will fill it with his presence. And tonight, Christians, when you come and grab the double stack cups, I don't want us to just get in a rut and see this as some church ritual. Christians, this is for you. I don't want us to see this as some church ritual or merely a piece of bread or some sort of drink. I want us to see them as the answer to our eternal affliction. The answer to our suffering was Christ's suffering. So communion should be us receiving, fully understanding that God saw and God heard and God answered. Again, it's receiving. And lastly, tonight, I really encourage this. After I get done praying, there's going to be people on that back wall and people on that back wall, and they're going to be praying for you. I encourage you, whatever negative images you may have of God or of yourself, again, forgotten or not cared about or God isn't present, he's not listening to my prayers, that you're not good enough or have value. Go and ask for truth to flood your thoughts and your hearts. And if there's anything going on in your life, you can obviously, please, we encourage you to go receive prayer. This isn't for the spiritually inadequate. This is so the church can be the church and intercede. Sound good? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just, uh, we just pray right now in the name of Jesus that, that there would be an extremely assured sense and understanding and trust that we are not with the lies the devil, the world may tell us, which is abandoned, forgotten, left in our affliction. I pray that we would now even remember in this moment, even if we're not in a hard time, but we remember eternally that you are the God who continues to break in like you've done with me this past year, like you do with my friends here before me. 
that you are a God who continually sees us and hears our affliction. But you are a God who desires to transform. Again, not to just fix our problems, but God, 100% to fill with your presence. And our pain is not pointless, but you have given it purpose. So Lord, I just pray right now that we would worship tonight as you seek. We would worship tonight in spirit and in truth. That we would believe what we're singing about who you are. We would believe what we're singing about who we are. For friends, before we just end tonight, we do like to at least just have a moment where you, one-on-one, are allowed to reflect, you're allowed to think, you're allowed to meditate, you're allowed to process. If there's anything that stuck out to you, a scripture, Hagar's story, whatever it may be about your own life, and we just encourage you in this moment to sit with it, to pray about it. Maybe you haven't said a prayer in decades, months. We would encourage now would be the time for you to take this and go, God, I am hurting here. God, I am broken here. God, I am angry here. God, I feel like I'm peeling here. And allow God to speak in that situation, be able to tell you, I see you, I hear you. We're going to just do that for the next few moments. You can do the quietness of your heart, and then we're going to sing.